Hello and welcome back to the world famous and wildly popular Driving You Crazy podcast. This is the show where we talk about all kinds of things transportation. I'm the transportation anchor and traffic anchor and transportation reporter for Denver 7 News, Jason Luber. If you want to be a hold, uh, if you want to get a hold of the show, you can. You can find the links in the description of the show. But what I would like you to do is actually call our voicemail at 303-832-0217 and leave a message there for us. I did receive a message over the weekend that I'm still working on, and I'm hopefully going to get a uh, resolution for this guy uh, coming up this week. Uh, I wasn't able to cram it into the show here today, uh, but it was all about uh, taking pictures of signs. You know those signs when you go into a town, it tells you, hey, this is a, uh, you're, you're entering this town. Well, this guy wants to take a picture like that for every county that's in the state of Colorado, and he's looking for a sign that he can't find. And he's asking my help for it. So I'll see if I can uh, help that guy out and uh, complete his project, because I think it's a pretty interesting story. Coming up in just a minute will be the one and only Skylar McKinley from AAA Colorado. Skylar sent out a couple of news releases recently talking about how some sort of technology in your car fails every eight miles. And what it really means to you is not only that the technology in your newer cars especially are failing often, and, and more than you would like or might think. But it's also putting a dent in the idea that we're going to see autonomous cars in the next five years. We're not. We're not going to see them for a while. And we'll get Ty- Skyler's uh, perspective on all of that coming up. He also says that uh, gas prices are holding steady. And we'll get his forecast for gas prices. And I'll ask him all kinds of other AAA-related car things that... Uh, that will be coming up in just a little bit. But I want to get to a couple other stories first. I want to take you first to Martin County, Florida, where a 61-year-old man now stands accused of swinging a five-foot tree branch at passing motorists and then tapping on their windows. <laughs> the case of the alleged wood-wielding dude happened when Martin County Sheriff's deputies were asked to go check on a guy who was dressed in a Hawaiian shirt and khaki shorts and was said to be looking impaired and stopping traffic. Well, a deputy saw a man with that description, and he says he was swinging a tree branch that was approximately five feet in length at passing vehicles as he was standing in the middle of the roadway. The type of branch, such as oak, cedar, pine, that wasn't specified, unfortunately, so I can't give you those details, but it was a five-foot-or-so-long tree branch that he was swiping at cars. He told the deputy that he only had a single four loco three hours earlier. However, the deputy said the man smelled a little bit like booze. (laughs) Don't they always just say, yeah, I only had one or two beers, sir. That's it. By the way, uh, every lawyer will tell you this, never admit... If uh, you are pulled over or you're stopped for drinking, you never admit to how much you have been drinking. If you have been drinking at all, you just don't answer that question. Don't do it. Just refuse to answer the question. You don't have to answer the question, how much booze have you had enough to want to swing a five-foot tree branch in the middle of the road at passing cars. The man was arrested on a disorderly uh, intoxication charge, and at the jail, the breath test, it measured his blood alcohol content at 0.212. 
if he was driving, it would be basically twice the legal limit. But it's not clear whether that exceeds the legal limit to swinging a tree branch in traffic. I think it does because he was uh, publicly intoxicated. Again, a little bit more booze than just one for Loco. The used car company that that, uh, has those really tall vending machines, Carvana, I'm sure you've seen the the ads for them, and you and I think in Phoenix is where they started. They're actually coming now to my home city of Denver. I just saw an email come through my new ro- newsroom that shows plans for this uh, new vending machine. It'll be 75 feet tall. It'll be built on the south side of Denver, right next to I-25. And the initial cost estimate was about $5 million. They think it's going to be done by early 2022. I, I don't know how the pandemic is going to... Uh, fit into all their plans for when it's going to be finished. And I spoke to Carvana, 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 however you want to say it, uh, about their business and the overall used car business back in episode 122. So it was a while back since this is episode 178. So it was a while back when I spoke to them. And I've included a link to that show in the description of this podcast. So if you want to go back and listen to that, it was a really interesting uh, interview uh, with them and their business plan and really all about the used car businesses and how they've changed over the years. And it's um, it's really interesting to see that uh, change in how people are now buying used cars on the internet, having them delivered to their own house. Doing They are basically doing the no-touch delivery before the whole COVID thing. So if you want to go back and listen to that, it's episode number 122, and you can get that link to it uh, here at the bottom of the podcast. I also wanted to let you know about a new study from Streetlight Data and Boston Consulting Group that finds that traffic is coming back after the COVID shutdown. I've noticed it. We just started back to school this week, really in earnest around uh, Colorado, and I know a lot of other states have started back to school, and it does always change the traffic patterns because people, parents, need to get their kids to school and then figure out if they're, if it, let's say they are going to work, then it changes the traffic pattern of when they go to work, how they go to work, and does the mom or the dad or whoever is dropping them off, uh, are they taking the bus? And now buses are obviously aren't as full as they used to be, so that's a whole change in dynamics. So it's... um. It's always interesting to see how it is changing traffic patterns now that uh, we're seeing more people going back to work and some of the schools that are opening. Well, their late July findings was that vehicle miles traveled in rural counties had recovered to pre-COVID levels, while vehicle mile traveled in urban counties averaged about 90% of pre-pandemic levels. And that's about what I'm seeing in certain hours around Metro Denver. It's different for every city, but that's about what I'm seeing around here. Now, of course, there are variations around the country, but these are national averages. Another sign of more traffic and road travel is is that the tax receipts for the federal highway user tax in July were actually 5% higher than in July of 2019. And that's obviously great news for DOTs who are dependent on these fuel tax revenues, but it's especially important for toll roads that have to make these regular service payments on their toll roads. So more traffic, more people using, obviously, the toll roads, regular roads, and you're seeing more people buy uh, gasoline. I think there's two things there. One is there's more people going on road trips, uh, so they're buying more gasoline. And you're seeing, obviously, truckers 
in more demand as folks are staying home. They need more, uh, and you're getting deliveries more at home, so you're going to see more deliveries with trucks, and you're going to see that uh, gas tax continue to uh, be good, be healthy. And so it's a good thing for the DOTs and the roads because we're going to still see that money coming in. Um, and it just shows you how much traffic really is still out there and how it is coming back. Even though in some day parts, you're not seeing as much traffic, as much stop and go as we have seen in the past. Um, I think it also shows a lot of people are staying closer to home, exploring their own state, their own town, and just driving around to do that. And speaking of driving and and getting around, it's a good transition to bring on my next guest. A couple of weeks ago, I had a guest His name is Richard Truitt. He is the uh, engineering and technology reporter at Automotive News. It was episode number 176, if you want to go back a couple episodes to listen to it. Richard and I talked about many things, including autonomous cars, and he said that it might be 100 years or so before we see autonomous cars on our roads. I, I, it was the first time I had heard something like that from somebody who's very close to the automotive industry. And then I was reading one of my emails from AAA that says this in the first sentence. Vehicles that rely on advanced, partially automated driving technology experience some type of issue every eight miles on average. Well, that statement stunned me. So I wanted to find out more about this, so I invited Skylar McKinley, spokesman extraordinaire for AAA Colorado. Officially, Skylar is the Director of Public Relations and Government Affairs for AAA Colorado. Skylar, thanks for being here, of course, on the world-famous Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks. I need to change my title. I think I prefer spokesman extraordinaire. Uh, Yeah, see, I think you could fit that easier on the business card. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Before we get into the world of autonomy and and a bunch of other car subjects that we'll chat about here in just a little bit, how are you holding up during the uh, Safer at Home order? How are you holding up? Where where are you holding up? You know, we, uh, the entire company, went on remote work in March, as many companies did. Um, Of course, AAA never closes. So our roadside guides, they were out there rescuing motorists this whole time. We've had to change our protocols a little bit. We can't let people in the cabs. Uh, and then on our travel agency side, those folks, have they're not booking new travel, but they're certainly helping people who had travel plans adjust those for sometime in the future when it might be safe to travel again. But all told, we've, we've held up pretty well. Um, I've been impressed with how we've responded to this. And what's actually pretty interesting for AAA is that when folks are uncertain about the future, they tend to join. So we're seeing record membership numbers just because the last thing, you know, if we're dealing with wildfires and a pandemic and an economic crisis, the last thing anybody wants to have to worry about is their car breaking down. So we're seeing our membership roles grow at the same time. You know, I miss seeing my colleagues. I miss seeing you guys. um, And I miss, you know, working out of somewhere other than my spare bedroom. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that you're seeing more members than ever because there are fewer people on on average driving around not only our town, Denver, but around the country. The, the Even though traffic has increased, it's still down from when it was pre-pandemic. So you would think that fewer people driving would not lead to more people wanting to join a an automobile club that's going to help them out if they break down if they're not driving. My theory on that is so many people didn't drive for so long that they got to their car and it didn't start. Um, so then they said, well, it's, it, it's time for me to join AAA because otherwise I have to worry about this dead battery myself. So, yeah, it, it's, it's been interesting. Um, you know, even as overall car volume has decreased, um, specifically because you're losing commuter traffic, road trip travels about level with where it was last year. Um, and that's kind of bolstered by the fact that nobody's flying right now. So I think we're seeing a lot of growth, too, from folks who 
want to hit the roads. They want to go on a long trip, and, and they don't want to have to worry about changing a flat some somewhere outside of Yellowstone. And yeah, you're right. And maybe we'll we'll, we'll let's talk about uh, we'll talk about that sort of stuff in just a little bit about people coming back to the roads and and talk about travel uh, in the air and on the roads in just a little bit. But I want to talk about this problem that you were mentioning in one of these emails to me about technology in the car. So why does technology fail every eight miles? Look, this technology is great. I love using it. Every time I rent a car, my old Jeep doesn't have anything like this. But if I rent a car and it's got automatic braking or lane keeping assist or adaptive cruise control, I tinker with it. I use it. It works pretty well. What we found, though, is that increasingly some of these companies advertise a suite of these services. If you bundle a couple of these technologies together, they sort of suggest, hey, your car is going to be able to drive itself. So we, we put that to the test, partially because per our surveys from previous years, 40% of Americans think a car advertised as having autopilot or something called ProPilot can drive itself. Um, so we tested what happens when you combine these technologies, things like lane keeping assist, things like adaptive cruise control, a pedestrian warning system, all of that. How, how good is it actually at driving the car? Uh, and, and that's where the marketing is kind of separate from the reality. Uh, the marketing suggests your car can drive itself. The reality is that, you know, every eight miles, this, your car is going to drift out of its lane. Uh, every eight miles, it's going to have difficulty avoiding something in the shoulder. It's going to uh, probably not set the speed exactly where it needs to be. So if you're getting in your car and pressing on and activating all these technologies to go on a road trip, the secret is you have to be watching them the entire time because on their own, they're just not going to be able to drive your car to the degree that you might see in a, a slick TV advertisement. And you say this failed technology never results in a crash. How can you be so sure about that? Well, so it doesn't, it doesn't. When we tested it on the roadways, um, we did 4,000 miles of, of tests with five different vehicles. Uh, on the roadways, it increasingly, it always required driver intervention. So the alarm would go off and it would say, please grab the wheel. And then you would have to slightly adjust to avoid getting out of your lane or colliding with another car. When we actually did tests on our, uh, we've got a private track that we use that we own uh, in California, we said, well, we're not going to tinker with it. We're just going to see how well the cars can avoid an obstacle um, without driver intervention. In the test scenario in aggregate, a collision occurred 66%, two-thirds of the time with an average impact speed of 25 miles per hour. So that's the rub, right, is this technology can alert you when it's failing, but if you aren't paying attention or choose to ignore it, um, it, it very well may cause a crash on the roadways. It certainly does in the test environment when we were um, not grabbing the wheel right away. Yeah, you mentioned that the driving assistance systems that combine acceleration and braking and, and steering often disengage with little notice. One thing that I, whenever I rent a car, it, some of them have that system where you come up to a stop sign or a stoplight and then the engine shuts off. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's a way for them to save, for the car to save gasoline. And then if you take your foot off the brake, it all of a sudden starts up again. That technology always bothers me, and I try to find as, as quickly as I can the button that will stop doing that. Because I always feel less safe when I can't start as soon as I want to start. It just seems like there would be that few-second lag. And, and you know, it, it, when, when, when things are happening few seconds can actually mean a, a big difference between a crash or no crash. Yeah, exactly. And that's why it, it's so important to be two things. One, alert. You can't be complacent. Um, I don't care what Elon Musk tells you. Your car can't drive itself. You need to be engaged in the task of driving at all times. And number two, you did exactly the right thing, which a lot of folks don't do, is when you 
getting a rental car or you just bought a new vehicle, you need to take some time to configure these systems to know how they work, to know how they don't work. Because the bottom line is if you're not paying attention, it's the same as if you weren't paying attention driving a car without these technologies, something bad's going to happen. Um, nothing has changed in the technological environment that allows drivers to not drive. Um, and uh, to agree with your previous guest, you know, these technologies are coming a long way, but it is going to be a long time until we have self-driving cars. There's so many things that have to happen, more than just developing the right sensors or right cameras. Um, so, you know, know that these systems, we call them uh, advanced driver assistant systems. Uh, it, they're, they're to assist the driver. They're not going to replace the driver anytime soon. I'm speaking with Skylar McKinley, the Director of Public uh, Relations and Government Affairs for AAA Colorado. Y y will you and I ever see autonomous cars? Will we be riding in autonomous cars in our lifetime, or will it be a thing for my kids, or will it be a thing for their kids? You know, I have seen a lot of different research on this, and it really varies from folks saying it's 100 years off to folks saying it's coming next year. I can tell you it's not coming next year. I think in my lifetime, within the next 30 to 40 years, I'll ride in a, a highly automated vehicle. But I don't think that in that time frame it's going to replace the fleet. I think many folks will still drive uh, regular cars that they control. And the, the issue with this is it's not just the sensors, which right now rely on cameras. Uh, we need to build out a 5G network, which has its own difficulties. We need to connect every car to the grid. We need to connect the grid to the cars. We're talking about billions and billions of dollars in investment. You know, you can, you can buy sensors for your cars that cost five grand and partially automate the system, but every car needs to have those and the grid needs to have advanced sensors nothing happens that quickly. So Ford was promising by the end of next year, a couple of years ago, that they'd have a self-driving fleet. Quietly, Ford and a lot of the other manufacturers have rolled that back saying, uh, we're not there yet. So a lot has to happen. I'm not ruling it out, but I would say categorically, it's not happening in the next 10 years. And with the failure of some of these automated systems that you're talking about, I would think that that would affect the development and obviously the reliability of a true autonomous car, maybe even not level five, but even level four or level three or where we are now, as you were talking about it, it seems like that is hindering our advancement, getting to the eventuality of an automated car. Yeah. And I think the car manufacturers need to have a reckoning moment on this. Um, and it's going to cost them a lot of money. You know, a lot of this technology, the reason why it fails is because it's camera based. So a camera has a difficult time identifying lines on the road, which is why you see lane departures or erratic lane positioning. There are better sensors out there. Um, there are smarter technologies out there, but they probably have to be embedded in the road. So right now, the automakers are spending everything to, to get the cars equipped with what they need to be partially automated. And it's not working, which means that folks are skeptical about whether this is something we should be pursuing, which means they're not going to support the kind of investments in infrastructure that's going to get us to where it's feasible. Um, you know, only 12% of Americans in our survey data say, oh, I'd feel safe riding in a self-driving car. Um, I can promise you that if we had a fully self-driving fleet, it would be so much safer than having human pilots. But we're not there yet, and people are right to be skeptical when you see research like ours, or even tragedies that happen in test environments um, from some of the automated um, services. Yeah, because there, there are times when, it, even if it's not snowing heavily, it has already snowed, and the plows have been out, but the, it, the, the highways and side roads are still completely covered in snow, where, where lane recognition is nearly impossible for me, with two eyes, driving up the highway. I can't understand how uh, a car with just cameras or even sensors in the road 
that would be scraped up by a plow could could get you to where you want to go. There's there there are so many uh, things that are happening when you're driving in a environment like snow where you just feel you can just feel it when you're sitting in the seat you can just feel it if the car starts sliding a little bit now maybe the the a computer in the car could could do the same thing but you just have that innate sense when as a human to get through those situations I, 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 there are so many of those situations i can't imagine that uh, a self-driving car could get through yeah exactly and snow is a great example for us living in colorado the more I look at this research, and we do a lot of it each year, the more I come to the conclusion that a lot of this technology is great and it's really helpful. A lot of new cars now have a little light indicator near the, the side mirrors that are, is a blind spot detection, right? So a little light comes on. You should still shoulder check, but at least now these, the sensor is also saying like, hey, I think there's something in your blind spot. And you know, another thing about that is I can see that because I don't have that technology, but I can see it on somebody else's car. So when I'm passing them, I can see that little yellow light come on. So I know I'm in their blind spot. And that technology is great. It really does assist drivers. And I think that's going to make the road safer. So we should be celebrating the successes of these technologies at making safer drivers. But I think the narrative gets lost because we all want to live in the Jetsons age. Um, the narrative gets lost that this is this march towards self-driving. These technologies, inch by inch, get us there. But for now, let's make the best use of them when they work, which is not going to be in snowy environments. It's going to be on straight roads. It's probably not in a city environment to just make us more informed drivers. And then that, you know, that reality runs flat into the face of like people still text and drive. So all told, people just if they focused on driving, we'd have safer roads. That's the bottom line. And, and just relying on technology alone to get us there is, is not realistic in the near term. I'm speaking with Skylar McKinley, Director of Public Relations and Government Affairs for AAA Colorado. You mentioned George Jetson. He, you know, he was flying his car, um, so he didn't really have to worry about road sensors and snow and, right. and, all, that, <laughs> and all that stuff. But it, it, I, I wonder how drivers can deal with any kind of technology that fails while they're driving in their car now eventually, I mean, in a hundred years, if we do have self-driving cars, it's still going to snow. I mean, I mean, how are drivers dealing with, with these failures of technology now, and how are we going to deal with them in the future? There's some issues with this. We've done additional research with folks who are, like, really well-schooled on the technology their car has, who've, who've used it a lot, who've configured it properly. Those drivers get complacent, um, which is the absolute worst thing you can do. So it's almost better that folks are a little bit leery because it means they're still going to be actively engaged in the task of driving. The real question is, if you're driving, there's a system failure and you have to react, you should know that you're not going to get a lot of lead time. Your car alerts you seconds from the danger, not 10 minutes before, not minutes before. It's reactive, just like everything else on the roads. So if you're in a car using this technology, and like I said, I use it every time it's an option in a rental. I like using it and I'm pretty blown away by it, but I still have to be ready to drive it at every moment. In fact, I'm more engaged. It's like I'm sitting in a cockpit. I'm flying the Millennium Falcon and there's lights going off and sirens going off and I have to process what all of that means. That does make me more attentive because I'm more aware of how I'm connected to the car. Where it gets dangerous is if I assume that's not going to happen. So use this technology as a wake-up call. Um, now you just know more about your car and the driving experience and the roads, um, but it shouldn't be an excuse to know less because your car, I can promise you, is going to ask you to take over, you know, Probably every ten minutes or so. In that's in that scenario where you're where you're driving the Millennium Falcon. Who, which one of your friends is Chewbacca? Yeah, right. Uh, whichever one hasn't shaved since quarantine. <laughs> there you go. Um, 
I want to switch gears a little bit. I spoke to Tim Jackson from the Colorado Auto Dealers Association a few episodes back. And we talked about new cars and used cars, and you sent out some information about AAA saying that it might be time right now to sell your car because you might be getting the best value uh, for your money and for your used car. Why do you guys say that? There is such pent-up demand um, for cars for a variety of reasons. Um, a lot of the factories stopped producing cars uh, as part of the quarantine, so there hasn't been a ton of the new vehicles released to the market. Folks are also more inclined to save money by buying used because of the economic uncertainty. Uh, and there's some incentive deals. It's just later in the year that this is the time when you're going to get the best incentive if you're buying a new vehicle um, and you might get the best deal for your trade. And so, you know, we know that the average value of a car right now is up a thousand bucks over where it was just before pre-COVID. Um, that's for a car in decent, decent shape, three-year-old car. Uh, but now's the time to sell because people are so hungry for uh, used cars. And that's going to be the case until some of this glut is worked out of the factories. But when you replace that car, if, if I have a car and I want to take advantage of, of my resale value, then I, I'm going to need to drive something else. So if I just replace it with another used car that I'm, I'm losing out because I'm, I'm replacing something that I'm selling it high and I have to buy something replacing selling it, uh, buying it high, should, should I maybe lease or should I look at purchasing a new car? Because you would think that uh, you would think that there's a lot of new cars out there that just haven't been sold because a lot of people don't have the, either the income or the money or the whatever to, to buy a new car right now. Yeah, there's, there's a couple interesting points here. Um, a lot of folks do sell a used car to buy a new car. These are people who are upper income and have been spared the worst of what has been an inequitable recession caused by the pandemic. And that's kind of what's driving this market in these new car sales is there's so many incentives right now um, for folks to sell their used car and get a new car. If you're in the used car market alone, um, you know, there are places where you can get deals, right? And in Colorado, if you want to get a used Tacoma, you might as well get a new Toyota Tacoma because the price is, is differential is about the same. But if you just need a, a drive around car right now, let's say you've got a, a relatively good condition RAV4 and you say, well, I'm not driving as much. Maybe I'd like something smaller. Um, you can get a great deal on that um, just because of the, the contours of the market. But you're absolutely right. The way this data is calculated is folks who sell a used car to replace it with a new car, which is the, the trend with how KBB and AAA kind of evaluate this. If you're on the used car market right now, it's a tough time to be on the used car market unless you're shopping strategically. So if you're trying to get a Tacoma, good luck. If you're trying to get a Taurus, that might be a lot easier. I haven't seen a whole lot of reports or uh, at least incentives to buy a 2020 model whatever because it seems like the manufacturers have either skipped right over it and maybe they're going right to 2021 or they have uh, they, they had their factory shut down it, it, it just seems like there's a lot of factors here that seems like the 2020 models are probably not the way to go and maybe wait till next year i would say the end of this year what right when we start seeing the 2021 models um launch and come off the line they usually come off at the end of the year prior a lot of these dealers are going to be trying to get rid of a lot of stock that they might have had since pre-pandemic it's true that factory shutdowns um limited the supply of the highly desirable vehicles think jeep wranglers where they can't make enough of them think toyota tacomas but there's a lot of other cars that are just sitting on lots that dealers are going to want to incentivize to get off their lots what's this is purely speculative what i'm about to say next but i think a lot of folks knowing that we're in this economic crisis um, are looking back to the last time we were in an economic crisis and there was a cash for clunkers program and there was heavy government incentives um, to restart the auto industry. 
I know some in the automotive industry who are waiting with bated breath to see if this Congress or the next one, including there could be a new president, do something to uh, stimulate the automotive industry. So that's the big question is if there's going to be a buying incentive program or a selling incentive program, you're going to see the cheapest deals we've seen on cars in a long time. So my worth nothing advice is that, um, you know, if you know you're going to be in the market for a new vehicle, um, I would wait. I would wait either till the, closer to the end of this year to see what happens or even early come January when there's a new Congress to see if folks are talking about auto uh, industry stimulus. What about a lease instead of a buy? Is it is it going to be about the same kind of deals or better deals? Uh, it depends on what you're leasing. If you're leasing in the luxury market, you probably won't see many changes, and that's where we see a lot of leases happen. Um, it that, That's one of those shop-around experiences. Um, leasing depends on a variety of factors, including your own economic situation. If you want to lease the latest and greatest, now's a great time to lease a 2020. If you're trying to finance or, or uh, an arranged lease agreement for an older vehicle, I would say wait, just because the lease market doesn't tend to see the same incentives that the government gives out um, for, or even the automakers at, for buying. You tend to miss out on all that, of course, but you don't have to get engaged in a loan or put a ton of money down up front. I'm speaking with Skylar McKinley, Director of Public Relations and Government Affairs for AAA Colorado about all kinds of related uh, car issues. Uh, we were talking a little bit ago about uh, road trips and travel and how travel has really changed. I, I don't see business travel coming back until maybe early next year, at least until we have a vaccine, at least until the airlines feel that it's safe to have everybody in the plane all together without wearing masks. And some of the airlines still have the middle seat open. So until they feel comfortable cramming everybody back into an airplane like we used to see, I think we're going to see business travel probably on hold for a while. And of course, business travelers, they subsidize the travel in hotels and, and other aspects of travel for just the recreational travel person, just the average holiday traveler. Um, and, and since that's not happening, it's it seems like that holiday travel could get more expensive. And, and uh, obviously, the, we're seeing so many peop- places hurting because of that. Yeah, I have no idea what's going to happen with airlines and cruise ships, um, which are predominant forms of business on the airline side and leisure on the cruise ship side. What's going to be interesting is right now, if you were to fly, you get really cheap prices um, just because they're trying to stimulate stimulate and get as many people on those planes as possible. They also haven't been able to lay off anybody um, or wind down fleets because of um, deals arranged under the CARES Act and other stimulus related to the pandemic on the airline side. That, that's going to come up in October. So in October, the whole airline market is going to change anyway. We're going to see what all the airlines do because they can then you know, lay off or, permanent or long-term furlough staff that they've been able to keep on board. Um, the one thing I wouldn't bet against is that the road trip this year and next year is going to be incredibly popular, and the American West is going to be dragged upward with it. You know, We know we did our survey, as we always do on, on travel plans. Air travel was down 75% over last year. Cruise ship was down by nearly 90%. Automotive travel for 2020 in the heat of this pandemic was only down 3% from 2019, bolstered by folks who were going to fly who, who then drive. And what's interesting is we also crunch all of our own data where AAA travelers want to go. Year after year after year, since as long as we've been taking this data, Orlando's been top of the list, um, buffeted by Disney World and other attractions in Orlando. It's always been our number one position for summer travel. It fell to number eight this year. Uh, the number one, two, and three, Denver is number one, the most searched travel destination. Las Vegas is number two. Los Angeles is number three. Seattle's number four. 
Phoenix is number five. Portland's number six. I mean, the, the West has really taken over because folks think, hey, I can hop in the car. I can be spread out. I'm not going to be near anybody, and I can still see some natural beauty. Um, so, you know, in the short term, there's going to be a lot of lot happening with airlines. In the long term, airlines are going to have to get creative with their recovery because business travel is not going to come back. But um, if you're a traveler, know that uh, you're going to be on the roads with a whole lot of other people, similar numbers to the folks who were on the roads last year, which is why it's hard to get an appointment to go see a national park. Uh, and a lot of those parks are using reservation systems now. Yeah, I tried to go to uh, Mesa Verde, and that was basically sold out. Um, and so we're going to try to wait till next summer to do that. American Airlines, as I, I mentioned uh, on the show, that they are planning on cutting 30 cities as soon as they can after the stimulus money restrictions are lifted. They are going to cut 30 cities, probably in places like, uh, you know, in the New York area where you have three airports all together or the Bay Area where you have three airports all together. Those those kind of places where you have another airport that they can service pretty much the same population. So I, I could see other airlines doing the same thing, cutting back on their service and then ramping up as people start coming back to them. Yeah, that's what I think is going to happen, but it's it's going to be a long recovery. I mean, people talk a lot about the V-shaped recovery. It's just not going to be V-shaped for anything related to travel. Um, and that's just because travelers are going to be worried. They want to travel. There's pent-up demand. We're confident that, you know, when this is all said and done and the dust is settled, it's going to be a record year for travel. Um, but there's a lot of wild cards. It's not just a vaccine. It's vaccine penetration. It's what the airlines require for travelers and so on. I would say that it's going to be rocky until 2022. Um, and, and that's based off all we know about vaccine timeline and a vaccine release. But I do know it'll get back to normal. Um, so if you're, you know, now's not a bad time to be bullish on the airlines if you're an investor. And I know many people are just because eventually travel is going to come back. But it's going to be completely different for the next couple of years. What we saw in February of 2020, we're not going to see that again for a long while. And bullish on the cruise line. You said it was interesting. You said 90% down from last year. It's basically 100% down because they haven't been cruising since March. And I think a lot of people are scared to get on cruise ships or trying to go out in Europe. And then one of the cruises had uh, COVID on it after they even just said, all right, everybody, you have to get tested and you have to get your temperature checked. And then boom, boom, they get they get some COVID. I wouldn't be surprised if some of the cruise lines are requiring proof that you have been vaccinated before getting on a cruise line into next year when they do start sailing again. Absolutely. Here's what's interesting. The cruisers, people who love cruising, they want to get back on these ships as soon as I possible. do. I'm, I'm one of those. Yeah, because it's a great experience. But the cruise lines, I think, are going to have this reckoning moment where they have to commit. They We're going to see in airline travel and especially cruise travel for the next couple of years, they're going, they're going to go above and beyond what's required for passenger safety. Um, I, I probably, I'm not a cruiser, but I'm for sure going to take my first cruise when I'm able because it'll be cheaper. Uh, and I suspect it'll be one of the safest things you can do because the cruise lines just can't afford either the image or liability hit of having another outbreak. So the whole cruise industry is going to change as a result of this. You know, in previous years, we'd hear stories about an outbreak on a cruise ship and it's just, ha ha, sometimes that happens on cruise ships. It's rare. Uh, but now I don't think it's going to happen at all as soon as the cruise ships are back because they're going to put those restrictions in place. They're going to they're going to have some of the tightest restrictions of any travel masks everywhere, no buffets, vaccines required, temperature checks at every portal. Um, 
I, I, it's going to be an interesting time to cruise. Norovirus is the joke that you were talking about. Everybody thought that you're going to go on board and get norovirus, and it just cruises through a cruise. Uh, pardon the pun there, but it, everybody, it, it's very contagious, as is the COVID stuff. So when you're trapped on a on a ship, basically your own little mini city with three or four thousand people, uh, any kind of disease travels around pretty easily. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so have people been asking AAA travel if cruises is, are, are coming back? Are they trying to actually book travel on a cruise ship or trying to book other uh, other travel? Yep, that's our most popular request is from cruisers trying to rebook um, folks who might have had something scheduled for this July who obviously couldn't get on a ship. So they're they're calling us. <laughs> we're getting calls from cruisers every day asking when they think we're or when we think they're going to be able to travel again. But broadly, you know, it's pretty interesting. Folks understand they can't travel right now, but many, many, many people want to travel again. And if my big takeaway from this is that there's been a sea change in what we think about travel um, that's ha- happened over the last 10 years, 20 years. It's no longer a privilege. People think of it as their right. Um, I have a right to go to Italy. I have a right to go to the Canadian Rockies. I have a right to see the world. So they're, they're primed and ready as soon as it's safe. Um, there's some travelers who are a little bit more skeptical. Um, but many folks are saying, as soon as I'm allowed to go, I'm going to go. Um, especially, I think the pandemic's heightened that because folks have been stuck at home. Um, and they, they combine that, you know, cabin fever with this idea that they, ha- they have a right to travel. So we're, as a travel agency, it's been rough. It's been a rough six months. And, um, you know, it's not letting up anytime soon, but we're going to survive it. And we know that when we do, um, we're going to have probably record years for travelers, record years for cruising, record years for train excursions. And then, of course, the road trip will has become king again um, and will probably maintain that pole position for a while. And we've always been talking about uh, how many people are baby boomer age, retirement age, travel age, because their kids are out and they are ready to go and they have uh, their retirement money all ready to spend. And so I think you're exactly right. As soon as it is safe to go, there is a lot of pent up frustration and pent up money that is ready to be spent and uh, for people to hit the road. Exactly. Yeah. I'm speaking with Skylar McKinley, Director of Public Relations and Government Affairs for AAA Colorado. Before we talk about how traffic has come back and some of the uh, safety aspects there, we talked a few months ago about a question I received from a viewer back uh, about how temp tags and AAA. And this driver had a temp tag because he couldn't get a regular a license plate because of the COVID uh, situation where all the DMVs have been closed. And then they're also running a little bit slower, even though I just um, through the mail renewed my tag and I got my sticker within a couple of weeks. It really wasn't, it was a lot more convenient than actually going to the DMV. But this gentleman was talking about how AAA the policy is when it comes to towing vehicles with temp tags that typically you don't. So what is the policy, and has it changed now since COVID? So our policy um, is that we will tow any vehicle that's road legal. Uh, we're not going to tow a junker to a junkyard if you haven't driven it in years, if you haven't kept the tags renewed. If you've got a custom vehicle that the state has said, this can't drive on our roads, we won't tow it. That's just our policy because we're a rescue organization, right? We don't want to be in the business of of just towing cars. We want to be in the business of helping motorists. We did have to change our policy, though, um, because... As you mentioned, the DMVs closed, and they closed for in-person. There was a huge backlog. There still continues to be of folks who just either got a dealer plate, and then the dealer plates or the temp plate um, 
went bad because they couldn't get a permanent one in the mail in time, or they didn't get their new tags because the DMV was closed. So um, to that extent, we changed our policy to allow for, for tows within reason. You know, if, if, if something had a temp uh, uh, tags that expired five years ago, um, you know, we would look at that on a case by case basis. But if it expired two months ago, we said, we're, we're happy to tell you we understand. The good news is that the DMVs are back. Um, as you said, you can do most of these services online at mydmv.colorado.gov. Um, but there is a huge backlog. So we're maintaining our extraordinary policies for the time being because even though some DMVs are open, you might have to schedule an appointment. Um, the nearest one to you might not be open. It's just going to take some time because they're working through hundreds of thousands of folks. Um, and, and we get that. So it was uh, like every company, we had to learn a lot about ourselves and about the environment um, and, and how to adjust that policy, um, you know, with, to be reasonable. And you said traffic is back. Yeah, I've noticed it. I'm sure you've noticed it. Your uh, tow drivers and your auto club is obviously noticing that traffic is coming back. So is it busier out there for uh, your drivers as well as uh, the more you're obviously getting more membership, but is it busier for the folks that are you're sending out to help out motorists? Yeah, you know what? That's very interesting. So at the height of the shutdown orders, traffic across Colorado was down by 60%, 70% in some areas. It's creeping back up. It's creeping back up concurrent with the road trip season. Um, so we've seen a lot more calls from out-of-state folks who are AAA members or just our members driving to some of the more remote parts of the state. That's creeping back up. You know, we're not where we were last year, but, you know, we're, we're 20 to 25% below that volume, but that's still way up from being 60% down. And what's interesting, and I kind of joked about this earlier, we are way, way up on battery calls. Um, so, you know, we're, we're above forecast. We, we built our forecasts late last year for 2020 when nobody was thinking about COVID-19. We're, we're way above those for the number of calls we're getting from folks who need a new battery. So the, the two-month period where folks were driving at all, um, I think, did a number on a lot of vehicles. And so we, we're still seeing a surge in battery calls. But um, we're out there. Um, we're managing our capacity. Uh, we're going to see what happens after road trip season kind of comes to a close as we're in colder winter months and there might not be a ski season. Uh, I don't think we're out of the woods when it comes to traffic. I think we're going to see a, a, another major depression in the fall and winter, um, but we'll manage. We'll manage and, and we want to keep all of our guys employed and all of our contractors busy. So that means pivoting to do more battery calls or exploring tire replacement and, and RV service and other, other new things we can roll out to keep everybody busy. Is it the time right now to explore changing car insurance? Because since I'm not driving as much, does th would that change my uh, rate if I tell my auto insurer that I'm only driving uh, twice a week instead of every single day, 50 miles a day? Yeah, that's a really smart point for a couple of reasons. You should call your insurer anyway. Um, folks kind of just set it and forget it when it comes to insurance, but you shouldn't do that because it, it can change with you. Um, in the first place, a lot of insurance companies, including us, but uh, all of the major guys, um, have done pretty significant rebates because crash rates went down so much. So they were just paying out less. So a lot of the insurance companies have rebated your existing premiums. Um, when it comes oh, to... Oh, yeah, I got a rebate of $25 on my policy of, uh, what, 1800 a year. So, yeah, that's yeah. really helping out. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. I mean, look, it's it's uh, it's not life-changing amounts of money, but it is, you know, I was impressed with the insurance industry as a whole because they didn't have to do that, right? Um, but when it comes to your new driving habits, two factors here. If you know you're going to be working at home for the rest of the year, tell your insurance agent, call your insurance agent, reach out to someone at your insurance company and let them know. You can save a lot. You can save significantly there. Um, 
that's true too for a lot of companies that are saying we're going to be on remote work through mid-2021. You should absolutely call. The other thing is if you're driving an older car and you're not driving much, you used to drive six days a week, five days a week, four days a week, and now you're driving maybe one, you could save a lot if you switched over to collision-only coverage instead of having comprehensive or additional coverage, right? You could just have collision only or for drivers who are not driving at all, liability only. Um, now that's really reserved for folks who aren't driving a ton, but if you lower your policy protections, you can save a lot and you'll be as protected provided you're not driving. It's obvious that uh, that I'm, I'm wasting a lot of money now uh, after you <laughs> explain that to me. Uh, <laughs> I need to call and I've and I've shopped my policy around and it's still pretty good compared to the other insurers out there. I have insurance, and I've I've shopped Geico, and I've shopped the house and car coverage together, and I'm still getting a better deal. But uh, it sounds like maybe I need to give them a call again, and and uh, at least work some things out. Yeah, just I I would say be in the habit of doing it, even if there wasn't a pandemic, a, a couple times a year, because there's always savings. Um, the one thing I would caution against um, for anybody listening to this is don't cancel your insurance. That'll end up costing you more. If you say, I'm not driving, I don't need to keep my car insured, I'm going to cancel it. You tend to get more and more discounts the longer you've been with an insurer, the longer your driving history. A new insurer is like to see that you've been consistently insured. So while it's maybe may a good time, depending on your habits, to adjust your insurance, don't cancel your car insurance if you're not driving. You want to keep that locked in because it'll save you money in the long run. I'm talking with Skylar McKinley. He's the Director of Public Relations, Government Affairs, AAA Colorado, about all kinds of different car stuff. AAA Foundation for Traffic Safety, they were looking at drivers' behaviors before the pandemic, and they found that drivers know what is dangerous, but they kept doing it while they're driving anyway. Like 50% of those involved in a recent crash admit to talking on a, a phone while they're driving in the past month. And about 40% of those involved in a crash admit to texting while they're driving in the past month. So even though people know what not to do, they're still doing it anyway. Yeah, I think that, you know, the, the head of the state patrol here in Colorado came up with a great way to describe this, which is that in Colorado, we have a selfish driving epidemic. So my favorite example of this is is running a red light, blasting through a red light, right? Where you have something like 86% of drivers say, hey, oh, it's so dangerous to blast through a red light. I would never, ever do that. And at the same time, 31% of drivers say, yeah, I've done that in the past month. I think we that's this, low. I think, that, I, yeah. think, I think people were lying about that. Well, that's the other thing, too, is that people are ashamed to admit it because they know it's wrong, but they do it anyway. Something happens when folks are driving where they, they forget what they believe. Um, I don't know if they're in a rush. I don't know if they feel like they're very safe because they're in a you know, an, an urban assault vehicle, as I call them, um, or a suburban assault vehicle. But generally, we have this do as I say, not as I do problem when it comes to driving. And that's the reason we see crash rates go up. It's the reason that we see insurance rates go up. It's the reason that we see cars swerving all over the road. Uh, it's, you know, you, you shouldn't text and drive. Universally, people say you shouldn't text and drive. And, you know, 40%, almost half admit to doing it. And as you suggest, the number is much higher. I, I do. I do think that people were lying about that because they will admit to only what they think you want to hear. They, mm-hmm. They're not going to say, yep, I, I did all of this stuff. And I think those numbers, whether it's uh, 50% they were saying that they were um, talking on the phone or texting or whatever, I think those numbers are probably higher. Because when you're driving, when I'm driving, and you go to a stop sign or even not, 
If I, one of my favorite hobbies is to follow somebody and you could see them drifting out of the lane and then they come back and then you, you pull up beside them and they have their face fully into their phone. <laughs> yeah. It's just plain as day. You know, and what I find so funny is like we've all been locked inside for several months. You're really going to wait till you're driving to send that text? You know, <laughs> you've, you've had all this time and you're going to go back inside after this. Just put the phone away. Yeah. Lock it in the glove box or just don't look at it. There's some evidence to suggest it's not exclusively driver's faults that there is a phone addiction problem oh, but sure. that just means you have to get over it you just have to get over because it it's, it's not worth your life or the life of um the pedestrian the bicyclist or other driver you're going to take and i think people speed are speeding more often now than they were before and i think people are just driving more aggressively than they have been before because roads have been for the most part wide open and when they start getting into these little traffic jams because traffic is coming back they get so frustrated and and torqued off that they they have to get around everybody and start speeding again. Yeah, the Mad Max problem. The yeah. people who continued driving during the pandemic got used to wide open roads, and the people who weren't driving kind of forgot how to drive. Those factors have come together. Um, you know, I think it's not as dangerous as it was in March when you saw people getting tickets for speeding sixty miles over the speed limit. <laughs> right. Um, but there's still some craziness out there, which is why. You know, you shouldn't text and drive and you shouldn't rely on like your lane keeping assist um, to swerve you around somebody who swerves into your lane. All right. Finally, let's talk to, uh, about some gas prices, what the outlook is when the pandemic first started. Nobody was driving. Nobody was using oil. There were oil tankers. They were floating around uh, uh, ports because they just had nowhere to put this oil. And and so it seems like that has slowly worked its way out. Gas uh, well, oil prices were at, what, $20 a bar- barrel. That's bounced back uh, uh, as well. But still, it seems like we're having relatively good gas prices right now. Yep, demand is still pretty far down, and there was still such a supply gut, glut from early on, especially when Russia and Saudi Arabia were just churning out oil. So if we look at the nationwide average right now, as of like two minutes ago, um, you can get a gallon of, of regular unleaded for 218. You know, that, compare that to 260, which was a, one of our highest demand travel years. It was two dollars and sixty cents. Things are a little bit higher in Colorado. In Colorado, it's about 238, 240 for a gallon of unleaded. It was 254 a year ago. There's some weird things going on in the gas markets, but there's still more supply than there is demand. Demand is inching up, but it's not doing a lot to take away all that supply. So we're going to see cheaper gas for the rest of the year, um, and uh, it's going to get even cheaper after we get past the driving season. Yeah, typically uh, in the fall, doesn't it just start dropping again? Yeah, it'll start dropping. So I wouldn't be surprised if in Colorado it drops another... 20 to even 40 cents per gallon into the winter months. It depends what happens with the pandemic and whether there's a second wave or uh, an intensifying in the fall and winter. Um, but right now it's cheap time to get gas. Um, you know, we saw the lowest demand ever since 1968 in March. That's not still the case, but there's still more supply than demand, and that, that lowers the price. You know, it's interesting. It just you, This conversation reminded me, I was reading an article the other day about gas tax receipts and how they actually aren't as down as you might think they are because truckers are still out there trucking, and we've had more truck traffic recently with all the demand for people staying at home, and you need to get all these uh, essential services and, and things done, um, and that a lot of people are still traveling by car, and taking those road trips. So people are still buying gas and tax uh, gas taxes are still coming in. They're, it's still coming in. Um, you know, there's still in Colorado and, and to a lesser extent nationally a transportation funding crisis. The gas tax is just not an elegant way. Um, you can't encourage 
more fuel saving vehicles at the same time you say bless the gas tax is the only way we're going to pay for things so you know i would be curious to see what happens um no matter who wins the presidential election this year um to i bet there's going to be investments in transportation infrastructure um i think they'll probably be significant and uh hopefully that benefits colorado where we've got roads and bridges in crisis um and you know there's a a, a massive fire ravaged glenwood um and and that roadway and look, luckily, it's looking like that's not going to require a lot of repair. But if it does, know that, you know, the gas tax alone is not going to be able to, to solve our way out of this. And California is all of California seems to be on fire and they're going to need some infrastructure help, too. That's exactly right. So um, but, you know, know that uh, this is the one tax that people don't seem to mind paying uh, in Colorado is the gas tax. And so when you do fill up, know that that money is going to help address some of our infrastructure needs, just not a lot of it. Um, meanwhile, if you're driving an electric vehicle, you're for now exempt. And um, I think that should be frustrating to a lot of folks who want to encourage electrification of the grid. Um, as a state, we can't encourage everybody to drive electric as much as we'd like to, because if we did, we couldn't pay for our roads anymore for those cars to drive on. Well, I did pay 50 bucks as an electric car surcharge for my Chevy Volt. So I am paying something. You are paying something, and it, uh, every little bit helps right now. But um, <laughs> And I don't know what that would have been if I, let's say, if I had, instead of uh, the Volt, it's basically, what, a Chevy Cruze, same thing. So I, I don't know if my gas tax uh, that I would have paid for throughout the, the entire year would have been higher or lower than $50, but I, I, I don't think it would have been. I think it would probably have been around the same figure. Could be. The AAA should look into that. Yeah, there you go. I'm 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 putting you to work now, Skylar. Yeah, <laughs> perfect. All right. Well, <laughs> I think I used up all of your uh, allotted time. Uh, thank you so much for spending all this time with us, Skylar McKinley, Director of Public Relations and Government Affairs for AAA Colorado. Thanks for all the insight, the expertise, and and being a uh, spokesman and uh, car guy extraordinaire. Hey, thanks for your time. And as always, stay safe out there, guys. There might be fewer cars on the roads, but uh, doesn't mean you can lose vigilance. A great reminder there from Skylar. So thanks again for. Uh, being here, that was really good stuff. A lot of good stuff. That was a that was a lot of good stuff. So, unfortunately, I don't have time for um, other things. So that interview ran a little long. I didn't get time to uh, look at the other stories I wanted to get to, including how much money we all have left at the TSA checkpoints and what they've done with that money. So I'll save that story as well as some others I didn't get to for next week. So with that, I'll say thanks for being here. Thanks for listening. Remember to rate, review, and repeat. Uh, if you want to get a hold of the show, drivingyoucrazypodcast uh, at gmail.com is the email. And then 303-832-0217 is the number where you can leave a voicemail. Thanks for listening. And until next time, I'm Jason Luba, the Traffic Guy. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring.